0: Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at OALAIG.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole.
1: And now, our speaker. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Thank you for being here. I love seeing all these beautiful faces. My name is Susan B. um, from Scottsdale. Used to be Susan R. from L.A., and this used to be one of my home meetings. And uh, it's been probably 20 years since I've led this meeting. (laughs) So um, for anyone who might recognize me, thank you, because I'm a lot older. For any of you that don't, that's okay. Um, I've been around for a long time and I'm not going anywhere. So just, I know we all like to hear gory details, you know, I'm just going to keep that brief because you can use your imagination. We all have one. My disease was, um, from what I remember, a very young age, just, um, not liking food. Didn't like to eat. Um, was called picky. It was called fussy. And then as I got a little bit older, I remember loving um, that white granule stuff. Just loved it. Um, and it filled me up from a very young age. I knew that it filled me up. And I remember as I got older, even in eighth grade, went to a school that a van picked us up, um, a neighbor friend of mine. And we bribed that van driver to go to 7-Eleven. Like you would get in so much trouble these days if you went off route, go to 7-Eleven so I could get my binge food, my binge sugar, because I came from a very controlling home. It was done a certain way. And my parents, I'm very close to them today. They raised us the way they felt fit best. And um, that meant that um, you ate, slept, drank, did looked how, what they thought. You know, there wasn't a lot of wiggle room. And I know today, after working the steps and being abstinent, that they did the best they could. I didn't know that. And I didn't acknowledge that for a long time. But if they knew better, they would have done better. My mom was very controlling. She locked the freezer, she was a gourmet cook. Um, we would sneak into the freezer. And my bedroom had a, two accesses um, one is the bedroom door, and one is through the guest bathroom. And she would go through my closet when I was sleeping and look for food wrappings. I was shamed at a very young age. Um, I was left at the table for, you know, you had to be the last person at the table to you finish your food. Um, good girl when you finish. You know, my eating disorder got worse and worse. And then in high school, I became bulimic. And then it just got worse and worse. Went to college, drank, ate, binged, threw up, starved. You know, the whole gamut. Did, did all of that. Here's where it gets interesting for me. I always knew I had a problem. I um, went for help, and a therapist and a, um, a, a coach. I went to see in the 80s. Um, they, well, therapist first recommended that I go to. She was seeing another client that she would reach out to and take me to an OA meeting. Well, I was in college, and it was this, it was a summer maybe between my junior senior year. No, no, no. It was between freshman and junior, and so I went. And I started to see how other people could go to a party and go throughout their days and go to work and not binge. And um, but I didn't really get the program. Shared with my parents that I was bulimic and my dad's, I said, if I throw up. And my dad said, Well, we'll take you to the doctor. I'm like, no, dad, I make myself throw up. You know, it was easier to tell them I was bulimic than I than that I couldn't stop that I was obsessed about food. That just my parents were foodies, they were all obsessed about food. My mom is 83. And today, every day when I talk to her, it's still what she's making tonight, tomorrow night, what she had Sunday, what she's having next Sunday. Um, So that summer I got healthy with food and it was really a a relief. It was like a shock that and a freedom, a sense of freedom. So I went back to school um, in Colorado. But, you know, I don't know if any of you tried this in college. It's not the cool thing, you know, to do. So in the 80s, I did the best I can. I didn't go to meet best I could. I didn't go to meetings. But you know that saying, when you're in recovery, your disease is in the other room doing push-ups. That is my story. So I stopped for a little bit and I stopped throwing up. My food wasn't perfect, but I I had more consciousness, more a little bit mindfulness, not a lot, but a little bit. And um Senior year of college, this is 1987, Um, I threw up just one day. And I called my friend back home and I said, oh, I threw up. She's like, I'm really worried about you. I'm like, why are you so worried? I just threw up once. Well, she knew what I didn't know. For the next year and a half, well, for the next amount of time, my food was the worst it's ever been. I couldn't stop eating, you know, um, the the bulimia got worse, the, the laxatives, the eating out of garbage cans, the eat, throwing food off the side of the road, buying food in the morning before work, you know, all that stuff just got a lot worse until I just want, you know, I just wanted, I always wanted, I just wanted to die. And what happened was I was, I, it was, it was the last room in the last house on the last block of that neighborhood. It was the last place for me to go. I didn't know what else to do. I was willing to go back to OA and I hid it from my family. I was, I just, they don't, they don't get it, you know, and I and, and so I did what I needed to do. So I went to Howe because that's where someone had told me to go. So I went to Howe and weighed and measured my food and I stopped in April of 1988. I stopped throwing up. But what happened, all of you guys, is that I didn't know how to eat. I was able to stop throwing up. But it wasn't until June of 1989 that I claimed my absence from compulsive overeating. I could not throw up and not starve, but I still didn't know how to eat properly. I came to these rooms only to be saved from food. That's why I came here. I came here because I had a problem with the... I I came because I had a problem. I could not stop eating. My car, I kid you not, I could look into any one of your eyes, Arlene, Carol, Pamela. I swear on my life, on my kid's life, Linda, that my car went into these places by itself. It drove into several. It drove into the parking lots. I had no control. I thought my car was crazy, right? Um, What I did in the morning, I wasn't going to do in the afternoon. I had a horrible relationship with food. So I came for the food. I came to get help. So, um, I came because of my problem, my relationship with food, but the reason why I had stayed all these years, cause you could do the math. And if you can't, and you're not good at math like me, I'm 57. So I've been here a long time is I stayed because of the steps, the tools, the traditions, because of service, because of all of you who gave me the love, the strength, the help me with the, your willingness help me. That's what has kept me here all these years. My God, when I look at a face like Tony or you know, other friends, like I just found a card from Tony from when I served on the board a hundred years ago. I mean, I I stayed because of you. I came for me for my food. I but what I've gotten out of it is I didn't know I had a spiritual malady. I didn't know all these other things. I knew, and you can't see me. I'm well, you, you can't really see me, but I'm not a fat person. I've never been fat person, but doesn't matter because to me, I was fat and people that were heavier than me that I've sponsored or whatever. So, you know, you don't understand. No, I, I do. I know when I'm heavier, it's harder, but the true disease is right here. My head starts that big just between the ears, you know, that is the scariest place of all. So doing disease doing pushups in the other room scared the shit out of me i mean i was going to die you guys if it wasn't for this program i'd be dead i would have taken my own life or something else would have happened you know you can't talk on the cell phone and drive in california you can do whatever the hell you want in arizona but whatever i'm um, <laughs> kidding but um but you can binge your fucking brains out pardon my friend. you can binge your brains out while you're driving you can lean over and pick up the food off the floor in the back seat. Sorry, I think that's just a dangerous, morning just in talking on the phone. How many times it would have helped me to talk on the phone to stop my car from going into those places, let me tell you. We didn't have that then. So I went to a lot of meetings, you guys, and I got abstinent and I left how? Because for me, and this is only my story, for me, God, it was was not all, my food plan was bigger than b- bigger than that. like I couldn't someone went out on three plums and I was like this this isn't working for me. like my I was told to wear my abstinence like a loose garment. not like a tight leather skirt. I needed to breathe with it. So I worked with my sponsor at the time who told me to go to meetings, write down my food, call my food in, and I did whatever she said. And that was Debbie and she was a beautiful, beautiful woman. And I got so much from her and I worked the steps and I worked them diligently. And I love what, you know, Theo said about honesty. Um, I became rigorously honest. I was um, a liar. I would lie to my parents. I stole money from my parents. I, I would do anything to fill myself up. Anything. Um, and I thought it was a horrible person. I thought it was fat, ugly, and stupid. I thought that's what fussy meant. Fat, ugly, and stupid. And when someone else shared that once, I was like, oh, well, yeah, that's, what you know, like, that's also what I thought I thought it stood for. I'm a pretty smart woman. I went to college, got a degree in psychology, but that's not what it stands for, <laughs> you know. And so I had self-esteem issues. I still have self-esteem issues. You know, often I think I'm ugly, fat, and stupid. Um so working the steps one at a time they're in order for a reason i came thought i was going to work the 12 steps and graduate still here still here go to meetings still here this led me to another meeting another program also so i work the steps because it is my roadmap to serenity thank you it is my roadmap to serenity my serenity is directly proportional to what I put into this program. And it it has varied over the years, you guys, I mean, right now it's writing and reading a meditation book and and meditating most days. Um, my food has changed more in program than before, because I have more years in program than I had before I came to program. And as you get old, as a woman gets older, as anybody gets older, your body changes. So my body has changed and I've had to talk to my girlfriends and say, this is what's going on. And I feel yuck. And I've had to change my food or take things out or whatever. To me, it's not about the food anymore. I'm happy to talk about the food when someone calls, but really it's not about the food when I'm my head's in the toilet. Okay. But really it's getting to the bottom line of what is going on in that moment. And it's always about that moment. And then when I'm in the moment, I have to stop and say to myself, is this hysterical There's a historical? Is this about something in the past? Is this about something today? And then I go forward. I have a disease of obsessive compulsiveness. That's about anything. Any food item, the healthiest orange, you know, stick of food. I could eat a bag of those. It's not about that, you guys. It is about my feelings. And in my family, you aren't allowed to have them except for happiness you know and they wouldn't admit that they don't say that but this disease is cunning baffling and really powerful and you guys i don't know i i here's it. i do he'll tell you what i do know. i do know i have another binge in me i don't know if i have another recovery in me i do know that i have a disease that is so strong i don't know if I could crawl my way back, so I stay close to my OA friends. I stay close to my program. You know, at the beginning, they would say, um, "You know, call before you take that first compulsive bite." I didn't always do that. I called after because it was easier to do it after. Until I had the willingness to call before and say, "I'm struggling." And not be embarrassed and get out of the shame. Because if I'm calling you, there's a strong likelihood that you are going to relate to me. The few sponsors or people that I chose, very few that shame me. That was not a long-term relationship. I work with a sponsor because I, not because I want their exact life, but I want their experience, strength, and hope. And spirituality. I don't have to have it look like theirs on the outside. I want experience, strength, and hope. On a daily basis, this one. Needs it left to my own devices? I'm a mess, so I need to tap into spirituality, not religion. Someone said to me, "I don't go to those programs because they're so religious." Really, I've met people of all religions, and it never even comes up. That's what I love about going to, coming to is Anonymous. It's not about politics. It's not about religion. It is about spirituality. It's about food first, getting abstinent. My abstinence doesn't have to look like yours, and and I would never judge you for your abstinence, because if that works for you,
0: excuse me.
1: thank uh, you, God. I'm,
0: I'm sorry, I, I was incorrect on my time. You, you actually have uh, eight minutes left. my.
1: Problem. Oh, okay. So um, let me go back a little bit. Um, when I came to these rooms, I was young. I was really young. I'm still young, but, you know, I was really young. And what my life looked like then was very different than what it looks like now. So when I struggle, a few years ago, I went through a very, very hard time. I um, I am married and have two grown children, 20 and 22. And when I got here, I was single and struggling and just fresh out of college. And um, no more tissue. Um, sorry. Uh, my life looks very different. Life was different then, okay? This program has grown up with me i've grown up with this program i'm the lucky one i am so lucky my husband's also a 12 stepper in a different program which led me to another program because of that um i'm lucky because my family of origin has a disease of perfectionism what it looks like on the outside um they eat drink too much um I grew up in the Jewish household, you know, and they said, you know, like, it's all about, it's all about the food. But then I came to program and found out every religion was about the food. Like, I grew up, it was about the food. So I couldn't use that as an excuse. Um, My family, sometimes I feel like I was born into the wrong family. I wasn't the right fit for mom. It wasn't the right fit. And she's not a deep spiritual person, but God, I love my mom today, but I couldn't have gotten there without writing about it. You know, I've done more inventories. I'm working on six and seven again on something that, that is just, you know, that is a character defect that I take constantly take back. Um, and some of these things I realize they're not, they weren't mine. They're multi-generational. Like I didn't realize till a few years ago that some of the things I struggled with, they're my mom's. And I took them on. And so now I'm working six and seven with my sponsor to to ask God to remove these, because they're they they kill me. They rob me of of the moments. They've robbed me of so much time. And I don't want to live a life like that. So I'm here still because I want to be a better human being every day. And because I'm married, I mentioned. And have two kids, so if any of you are married or have a partner or have kids or still in touch with your family, I need sanity. I need to write about it. I need to work on my stuff. I'm not the Dalai Lama yet. I'm not the female version of Gandhi. I am not Mother Teresa. So I keep coming back. People always, people often say, well, I'm not perfect. You know what? It's not about perfection. Because when I came to these rooms and I heard people share, oh, I'm a perfectionist. And I sat back and I went, huh, but they're talking about something different. So we're all perfectionists in our own mind about something else. You know, you might be a perfectionist about this and I might be a perfectionist about this, but it gets in the way of living my life. I get in the way of living my life. So I have to slow down long enough to hear God's voice, to hear my own still voice. I talk fast. I walk fast. It has been my intention my for me to be very mindful about slowing down and sometimes my kids would be like mom i don't understand what you're saying you're talking too fast i was like whoa slow down soon slow down you'll see a rock in my hand i carry stones in my pocket i carry I had to take a high stakes exam this year. I chose to take a high stakes exam this year because I think I'm stupid and I never took something like this. I went back to school last year and scared to, scared to death. It was one of, the hard, one of the harder things I've ever done. And I took this test and they scan you before you walk in. You can't bring anything, right? And I had, if you work for the examining place, forgive me. Um, and I had two tiny little stones and I put them in my bra because they. my son said, mom, they're not metal. They're not going to. I'm like, but this is dishonest. Like, It kept me saying it was right in my chest. It was right next to me. I'll do whatever I can to feel close to God. Sometimes it's talking to one of you. Couldn't take a phone into the exam. Um, couldn't even bring water. So I'll do whatever it takes to be, find a way to be closer to God. And for me in that moment. So what I do when I'm on the phone or when I go to work or I'm in a hard place, I find a way to get grounded. Um, I speak to someone who lives in Mexico who I've known since I walked into these rooms. I speak to my old first friend I met in college, and then we lost touch for a few years. And when I came to Serenity Sunday in the back and I look over and then I see a friend sitting in the front row who was my first friend in college. I have relationships with people in this program for 30 plus years. I'm a lucky one. I'm a grateful member of Overeaters Anonymous. I'll wrap up with service. It is so important to give back. I cannot keep what I have if I don't give back. My food gets funky. My spirituality gets funky. I have to give back. It doesn't, I don't have to sponsor 50 people. I don't have to go to 50 meetings. Dad told me when I first came, meetings are a bridge back to life. If you need a meeting every day, fine. There's times when I do 90 meetings in 90 days. And listen to what you say when I need help. Because you're likely in a better place than I am. And if you're not, you'll tell me. I can't right now make another phone call. I'm here and I'm abstinent because of you all and because of my relationship with my higher power. But I will tell you, it is not just because of God. I cannot just thank God. I also did the work. I did the work. And I'll tell you, this program is not easy. It takes work. This program is not for people who need it. It is for people who want it. And I want it. I still want it and i will continue to work every day and i'm so grateful to be here i'm honored um it it feels vulnerable to share but um if i could help one person one newcomer one ultimate anything then i then then i then i did my job today and deb i love you and i miss you and i thank you for asking me to be of service this morning and i've just Love looking into all of your eyes. So thank you for letting me be here today. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own. They're not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, please, click the raise your hand icon at least up at 9.3 okay um do i call i call on the people Deb? yeah all right so like, yes. How do we, yes okay do you see them or Darryl. do you want me to call on them um yeah what can you call on them because the yes. i like dis- well, oh, Darryl, i just i'll call on daryl i see daryl first so I'll call on daryl and then if you take over that would be so great dad
0: okay okay hi everybody hi Susan. Wow. Hi, I'm Daryl, anorexic compulsive overeater, um, you. and you know what, um, I think the only thing I can say is wow, um, I'm I'm really blessed, and I guess, you know, one of the things you talked about was like once in, for me, once an anorexic, always anorexic. My question to you is acceptance in, I don't know exactly what my question is, um, my my question. I just wanted to talk. Okay, my question is: um, How do you accept life on life's terms, knowing that it's God's will, but it's not what I want? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Knowing that God's will is better, but being impatient may maybe is the does that.
1: I think I got most of it. Went out for a little bit. Thank you, Daryl, um, for starting me out with a doozy off the gate. Um, <laughs> God's will. Um, oh, it's hard. I call people like I call people like you because I call people because I can't always step back and understand that God's will might be better. Um, I take a pause. I'm a big writer. I really believe in writing it out. That's what I was taught here is to write it out. So I write it out first and then I pause. And then sometimes I fight. I, I Sometimes I fight it, you know, sometimes I need, like I said, I call it, sometimes I'll call one of you until I can talk it out and just be like, oh, maybe get a different perspective because my perspective, my first response is not always right. So even if it's God's will, like, well, I'm going to fight it this many years in, I'm still going to. And sometimes I'm able to just much more than I ever used to just kind of accept, okay, this is God's will, especially when it comes to other people or situations that I'm going to really have no control over. I have to stop and go, what is, what do I have control over in this, in this situation with this person? I do my part and I leave the rest to God. I can only handle myself. I don't know if that answers your question. Okay. If anyone else has a question like that, go for it. All right. Heather.
0: Thanks. Thanks, Susan, for your lead. Um yeah, I wanted to if you can maybe expand a little bit more upon your uh reworking steps six and seven. I, you know, how do you have, I don't know, humility, but also compassion when those defects come back um, time and time again. So thank you. So
1: it, Heather, thank you so much for asking me that question. Um It's right here. Step six for newcomers is we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And seven is humbly asking to remove our shortcomings. Such a great question. Um, It's humbling to be humble again and again and again and again. (laughs) Um, Okay, so what I didn't share and I was going I started to was that. I just give you an example. Um. I judge myself for certain character defects, Okay, in a situation this is a couple of years ago. And I was really my sponsor had suggested me going to 90 meetings in 90 days because I you guys, I couldn't let go. I was hanging on. My daughter was having a very, very hard time in life. And I was hanging on and I was walking like Forrest Gump. And I I was I was I was just a mess. And. um, My character defect was control. And that I thought I knew better, and also it was fear, and it was also a a litany of other things. um, Reminiscent of my Pat, you know, everyone has their own higher power, right? So, for God's sakes, I can I have a hard time accepting my higher power for what they want for me, let alone someone else's, you know, higher power. So I had to stop judging myself because I'm like, I should know better. I've been in program. I've released all these defects of character i should know better until like a lightning bolt hit me and i thought i've never been a mother of a 17 year old going through xyz how am i supposed to have known better Mm -hmm. there's no way i could have known better heather so i had to work that character defect in that situation and go oh that character defect might not arise in this situation anymore but it it rears its ugly head in this situation So when I know better, I do better. And every time I shame myself, I'm reminded shame stands for should have already mastered everything. Well, I'm not dead yet. I'm very much alive. I'm not going to be a master. Different situations arise. Then I see the character defect, the one that's coming up for me right now. I sit down and I do six and seven again. And again, I thought I was going to graduate after 12 steps. That's not what you do here in program. They told me you keep doing them over and over. Because we grow and we change. Again, I was single when I got here. Now I'm married, and have two kids. I don't know, you know, like that's hard work having other people around you. So I just keep doing it over and over and asking God, to remove them, and also, I have to be willing to open my hands for him to take them, because I'll be like this. I hope that answers your question. Bob M. I see. Yes. Hi. Thank Bob you very
0: much for your share. Bob M., compulsive overeater, recreational sugar addict. Do you have a daily practice? And if you do, can you describe it?
1: Um, do I have a daily practice? Is right. that what you said? Yes. Okay. So also, shame is should have already mastered everything. For anyone who's asking. Okay, my daily practice today is reading, writing, and not the arithmetic. Reading, writing, and meditation. So, um, I and writing could be anything from just a couple things to whatever to pages. Um, since I came to program. I have all the little books, the little morning readers, and I read those. In fact, my 20-year-old daughter said to me last week or the week before she was not feeling well and she got in my bed and she said, Mom, oh my God, I'm gonna cry. She's she's like, Can you read? Can we read one of those books we always read in your bed when we were little? I would do my reading when they were little and they would crawl in bed and they would do, um, they would pick up the book upside down and do their reading with me. So um We didn't do the reading together, but she just asked because she remembers. So I read. I take it with that book with me. I have one in the desk. I have one. I take it with me to work, in the car, on an airplane. I I have them scattered all over the place. So I start my morning that way because otherwise I am taking my whole day in my hands without turning anything over. I need a spirit and I drink water. I drink water before anything. So I have some water. I write down. Sometimes it's all my fears or my gratitude. I usually do my gratitude at night. But um, I just write forever as long as I feel. And then I I do the reading. I write first. Right now I'm writing first. Sometimes I read first and then write on that. And then sit and meditate for a minute to 20 minutes, whatever it is. So I can get calm and hear something other than you know, what's
0: in this space, a lot of traffic here. So I hope that helps. John. Hello. Thank you so much for your sharing. This is just my second uh, meeting. Mm -hmm. I guess I had two questions. Uh, Thank you. I wondered if there's a specific slogan that you lean on a lot that seems to uh, be of help to you. And the other question Uh. I had is, um, When you're feeling vulnerable to binging, do you have, have you found certain a way to feel what might be the feeling that's going on and trying to unearth what a feeling is versus just like the, the need to, the need to eat, if you found any way to help yourself figuring that out? Thank you.
1: John, sure. Thank you for the question. Welcome. And I'm so glad that you're here today. And you know what I was told, you know, keep coming back. That's one of them. Keep coming back. And there, every meeting has a different flavor and go to at least six. And if you don't like it, we'll refund your misery. Um, so I love the slogan. That's one of the things I grasped onto tightly when I came because my friend, Trish, she had more time than me. And I sat on my bed with my big book and she told me some slogans like this two shall pass. What I didn't realize you guys, and I shared this with someone recently in a meeting and they didn't like it. So forgive me, but it's not my saying this too shall pass is an ancient saying. It's not meant for the bad stuff. It's not only meant for the bad stuff will pass. Five minutes. What was that? I'm sorry. Five minutes. Left. Five minutes. Okay. It means everything passes. The good passes. The bad passes. And the person goes, well, I don't like that. And I'm like, sorry, that's not my saying. This too shall pass. If I wait long enough. John, the feeling passes. If I eat, then I've got two problems. When I came, I just wanted to be happy. The food didn't take long for me to realize the food didn't make me happy. It did in the moment, I wanted that food. But happiness is an emotion, it's fleeting. It's not a state of mind, right? So now what I do in my abstinence, if I have something after dinner, Sometimes I pause and like, oh, but I want it now. And I pause. Now, that's not the same thing as a binge, but it is something that I have in my abstinence. And I was like, if I pause long enough, maybe I wait a little bit longer to have the food. And sometimes miracle of miracles, I don't even have it because that feeling passed. For me, program, when I came, I had to learn to pause, pause always until serenity. Enters. And I have to tell you, that was one of the hardest things for me to pause because that urge was so strong to just eat. Like the motion was literally, I was believing, it, like the motion was right here. It was here and it was in my gut. I felt it here in my Kishka. I felt that. I had to eat. That motion was too strong. And if I can pause and wait until some kind of calmness, serenity enters, then I'm free to go. That was the hardest part for me. And now I use that pause for reacting for other things. The reason why I ate, you know, that I use it for that. Thank you for asking that question.
0: We have, do time, we have time for one more question, if there's anyone that has a question, because I can ask her tons of questions. I, I can ask a question. Beautiful. Thanks, Cheryl. Hi, Susan. Thank you for your lead. It was beautiful and helpful. I'm wondering, how do you feel about food today? So much is discussed about food neutrality, and I'm wondering, do you still enjoy food? Do you allow yourself
1: to enjoy food? Well, Cheryl, thank you. Also something I wanted to talk about. I'm a foodie. I love to cook and we cook in my house and we bake and we, um, I today, my today, I love food and I, I am here to tell you the obsession for today has been lifted for the most part, that obsession that I never thought would leave here. The obsession of like, all I did was think and dream about and, 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 and eat food. It has been lifted. I ne- I, I pray to God that, that I, I never, those steps, God, do they work. The steps, tools, traditions, everything, because it has been lifted. Now, I might, I might be obsessed about what I'm going to eat for dinner. I still look at a restaurant menu online just so I don't have to obsess about it all day or just want to know whatever. I love food. I enjoy food. If I have a problem with some foods, then I text someone to this day. I text someone still. Um, it used to be a dime and then twenty cents and then a quarter in a pay phone anywhere I was. Now, it just ticks my phone. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna have this or I'm taking this out of my diet right now because it's messing with me. So um, yeah, I sure as heck enjoy food. I don't want a strict diet that's, you know, I want to wear it like a loose garment and enjoy my food. and I am so blessed to be able to enjoy and taste it. And have a healthy relationship with food. And like I said, if it gets wonky, then I just pick up the phone and I have to have the willingness to talk to someone and say, you know, I'm going to just, well, you know, wait, either measure it or take it out or have it, whatever. You guys, the biggest thing I learned from this program is that I'm not alone. I know it's a me, it's a me program, but it's a we program. And all I'm telling you guys is you don't have to be alone. We're all here. I know today if I'm alone in my feelings, that is a choice. I did not know that in 19, in the eighties, it is a choice. There are many people, more people than not who have eating disorders or issues with food. Keep coming back. It works.